Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. You're on Radio Marinara, so we're going to talk marine coastal things. Um... Have you got the weather? I, didn't I really do. do but yeah, awesome. <laughs> How about you do the weather? Well, let's talk about the I show, was, though. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's so, talk about the show. Let's talk about the show. So um, we're going to do some weather then, and we're going to start with a tribute to uh, Luke English, a man much loved um, that we lost on um, oh, the week before last. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about him. And uh, then I believe you have a very exciting interview after that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was... Um, I was I spent last week in much warmer climes and, and caught up with um, Marty McNeil, who's one of Australia's leading experts, or probably Australia's leading expert, on Halameda. And Halameda are an algae, but they're also something else. And so we'll talk about this and there. Uh, and I've heard about them and I understood them a little bit, but after this, I just kind of went, what? Seriously? So anyway, yeah, we're going to... Halameda. I love how you're building the excitement about Aldi. It's about the middle of the show, that one. <laughs> and then lastly, um, you know, you know, we're at Radio Marinara. We're always interested in exploring new initiatives in plastic pollution reduction uh, to protect the oceans, and especially now in the light of Victoria moving towards a circular economy model. So we are going to chat about a new initiative which just launched in Victoria last month called Recycle Smart. Yeah, no, this is I'm, – I'm, yeah, I'm keen because I'm, I'm missing – unlike you, we have been really poor at reducing our soft plastic. Um, you know, we have done a bit, but nowhere near as much as we need to. Yeah. This sounds like it's possible. Yeah, it's anyway, pretty exciting we'll stuff and it's more than soft plastics as well, so stay tuned. Okay, cool, cool. So weather? Weather, well, top of 13 degrees today. Oh, yeah. Still kind of in winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Partly cloudy, mm. chance of some morning fog, slight chance of a shower. That all sounds very <sighs> general, Victoria, here. Yeah. Light winds becoming suddenly uh, 15 to 20 k's an hour in the early afternoon and then becoming very light. And for the rest of the week, well, it's really much the same. Uh, temperatures are peaking at 16 degrees and sunny on Wednesday and then we're going to go back down to 13 again and rain <laughs> at the end of the week. So typical spring weather for Melbourne. I love that peak at oh, 16. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't think of where I was last week. I got below 16. I was yeah. in Townsville. Yeah. Oh, you didn't, uh, anyway. oh, no, it never goes below yeah. 16. And then we've got some tides for today as well. So Port Phillip Heads high tide will be at 9.30am this morning and low tide at 2.11pm. So as always, check your EPA beach report for water quality before you go for a swim or a snorkel. And uh, we'll also be catching up with Myra Kelly for the dive report. So stay tuned. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, the during the week, a little bit of news, a little bit of news I want to kick off the show with. During the week, the um, Australian Institute of Marine Science has released their kind of annual hard coral monitoring results, and they've been doing this for thirty-seven years. You know, it's been, been it's one of the, it's one of the longest-term, largest-scale monitor, environmental monitoring programs um, anywhere, really. Uh, and anyway, so. Last year, there was this. There was a lot of trumpeting of an increase in coral cover, and then when you got into the nuance of it, there were you know two or three rapid colonising, rapid growing species, the staghorns and acropora things, or some of the species of acropora. Anyway, this year's headline is a pause in recent coral recovery on much of the GBR. Mm. So what's happened is while there is still some increases, the increase is less. 
Increases in coral cover, right? Or is it in species as well? I beg your pardon, they've actually decreased in cover. Oh. Yeah, yeah, both in species and in, in cover. So um, one of the things that, um, that was talked about, so the pauses is partly due to a um, 2022 mass coral bleaching event. So low, num- low numbers of crown of thorns and a cyclone in January um, also contributed to loss in the northern regions and then continued um, crown of thorns outbreaks and coral disease kept coral cover, similar to last year in the southern region. So, so it's kind of a bit different. So the northern region, which is north of Cookdown, was down, you know, like, you know, one percentage point in cover. The central region was down, you know, a couple, and the south was marginal. It was pretty much the same. And so those trends from the north to the south um, were done. They do these things called mantatos, you know, you kind of hold on, yeah. and then they do this coral cover. Um, and they just drag a diver yeah. behind them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they... they, they about 111 reefs. Yeah. So it's very extensive. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And uh, did they say, because if this already declining, even if it's only by 1%, I mean, we are we are looking at an, an, an El Nino year coming up. So yeah. do, do they do any predictions about no, what they think is going to happen? This particular program is only about what's happened in yeah. the past. But they're, they're I don't know, I, I heard some various people involved in the program talking about this and others and saying everyone's worried about the El Nino and the La Nina kind of has suppressed that. It's done other things. What, what this doesn't do, and I think there's a couple of really important points, and they talk about this in their releases and what I've heard is, well, it does cover. So it doesn't do quality. Yeah, that's right. And so there might be lots of it, but it might not be looking good. Although they do note if it's bleached or not. Yeah, and if of it's course, you know, yeah. covered in algae or not. So there is an element of quality. Um, and the other thing is there is diversity. They do because they're looking at all kinds of different coral. And what they're finding, though, is one or two species of these, you know, early colonising foundational species in a way, are getting in and growing. And that's kind of the early stages of an ecological process. Yeah, it's like ecosystem succession, right? Yeah. Like what you start with lichen and then mosses and then grasses and, yeah. then, and then all that thing, but underwater. And you need them because then other things come in and fill in the gaps and yeah, get exactly. cover it. And so, you know, uh, yes, there's been a change in, the, in some of the diversity cover, but from an, ec- from an ecological health perspective, it's, it might be handy just because we're seeing reef recovery happen. Anyway, but much more complex signal than I think that... And then some of the, um, you know, kind of extreme right-wing media picked it up and was carrying on about the loss of scientific integrity, which I just don't understand. You know, when yeah, the dot points go I, I the other way, they yeah, trumpet... The, I, I can't really read that kind of media no, because it makes me so angry. I just want no. to throw their laptop out of the window. <laughs> And this is one of those programs that is genuinely, you know, this is the data, this is what it means, this is how it... And they don't extend beyond it, you know. They really yeah. do a very good job of not extending beyond it. Anyway, very interesting. Again, a mixed thing, but but in general, recovery but dropped off, pause, pause in recovery was the way they've talked yeah. about it. So yeah. that's, you know, that's not surprising at all. Triple R. We have on the phone Myra Kelly, our lovely dive reporter, and also a friend of um, Luke English. And um, last week on the show, Bron had mentioned it very shortly, um, that the Victorian dive community has sustained a huge loss in the unexpected passing of Luke. Uh, Luke was a very prominent figure in the community um, as a founder of dive boat operator Red Boats, as well as being the president of the Dive Industry of Victoria Association. But mostly he was a really big presence um, because of who he was as a person, not because, you know, of, of, of what he did, but f- for who he was, really. 
Um, and people who knew Luke would probably agree that uh, he had some real larrikin big boat energy and a huge, huge heart. Um, he was incredibly good at making people feel better when they were down, making them feel included and really making them feel part of our community of ocean lovers. And he was a tireless advocate for the sport of diving as a way of doing self-care and, and leaving all your worries at home for a while. And, and I know that that's the reason for him and why he got back into the water and, and dived. Um, so I met Luke several years ago when I worked as a dive instructor and we became instant friends because <laughs> on one of the first boat rides, he told off a bunch of illegal fishermen and threatened to call fisheries on there right there and then. And I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> He's good. Um, and look, and I, I can't even mention the number of times that, that I witnessed his people skills in, in calming down really anxious divers on the boats or even the ones that surfaced early to the point where they could actually re-engage with their dive again and, and really enjoy their experience um, and yeah he really believed in what he did and the incredible connections and benefits of, of diving and what it brings to our well-being um, so welcome uh, Myra and I know that you were also a really good friend of Luke's um, what, what was your experience of him? Good morning farm hi um, yeah look I was a, a, a fairly new diver to diving Melbourne on the boat and I regularly headed out on red boats with Luke and I had an epic time every single time. I loved his support, his encouragement um, and just his fun, his knowledge and most importantly, his friendship. Yeah. And I, I think He's epic, a really special guy. I think epic was a word that he probably used most. <laughs> Everything was always epic. <laughs> epic, trust me, it's going to be epic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, Luke, uh, Myra, like what what were the what are the things about Luke that you know you would like to share with everyone, with all the listeners here? Oh, just I think he summed so much of it up there. Farm his patience with people, his inclusivity. Uh, from um, divers that a whole range of abilities, from your, your tech divers to your recreational divers, the different interests. Uh, he catered for everybody. And it's been so beautiful to see all the messages of love out there for Luke on social media and when people have been catching up. I've absolutely loved reading through people's messages and especially with Luke's countless phrases that he had. Um, he sort of had a, a phrase for... Every occasion, every purpose. Um, <laughs> he did too, yes. He, he did. Some of them are absolute crackers. So, look, if, if people haven't had an opportunity to uh, or don't already know Luke's um, complete repertoire of, of phrases, have a look on social media. There's a, a couple of posts out. They've, um, they've made me really sad reading them. I've caught myself snorting with laughter as I've remembered times, you know, on the boats when certain lines have been used. Um, but they're the memories for the dive community to look back on and, um, yeah, remember Luke by and, and smile fondly. Yeah, um, yeah. There's also a, another a really beautiful video that uh, is in Luke's words, again on social media, was put together about why we dive. Um, Luke sold adventure, but he created and, and delivered so much more. He, he created amazing memories, wonderful friendships, and provided a real escape for so many people um, who dived for so many different reasons. And I think, you know, there's a real legacy that Luke has created within the Melbourne diving community. And, and 
and brought a whole community of people together. And I think his legacy really reflects that. Um, yeah, and I think also the sheer amount of people who turned up to the community oh. get-together in Rye last Sunday was really a testament to how many lives he touched. And big big thanks to Kat Fichelka for organising that get-together. Yeah, I reckon there were over 100 people there on, at very short notice. Um, so before we go to a cart and your dive report, Myra, I just wanted to let everyone know there will be a celebration of Luke's life this Friday the 18th of August at 1pm at Blair Gowrie yeah. Yacht Squadron. And and obviously, yeah. our thoughts are with Luke's four daughters, his partner, and his family. Um, so we are going to yeah. go to a quick cut and then uh, the dive report. Um, thanks, Myra. Thanks, Mum. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Indeed, you are on 3 Triple R on Radio Marinara. Um, sorry, there's a couple of people ringing us and we can't get to the phones. So use the text line um, 0466. 98127 or Facebook messages because we see both of them live in the studio. Uh, it is, however, time for our dive report. It is, and Myra's bringing it uh, to us. And what better way to, uh, to celebrate Luke than with a dedicated dive report? Take it away, Myra. Yeah, this, uh, this is a, a dive report that is definitely dedicated to Luke. I used to phone him most Saturday nights asking uh, for conditions for the upcoming week for preparation for the show. <laughs> <laughs> I used to pester him <laughs> and he delivered every week. So, yeah, thanks for that, Luke. Thanks for everything and I am going to miss you. But uh, I'm down here at Blair at the moment and we have had everything down here this morning, rain, rainbows, and it's beautiful. The sun's shining now. The water is flat. There's no wind. Um, the car park, there's still space in the car park to get in. Um, same deal at Rye. It looks like there's a lot of boats out on the, the water at the moment with trailers in the car park at Rye. Parlo was in the water here at Blegarry yesterday. He had about 10 metres viz. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, really good. Um, water is sitting at about 12 degrees. Um, I'm going to get in the water today for my first dive since the 4th of June. So uh, my buddy and uh, car, my dive buddy car and I, not sure how long we're going to last, but uh, it will be, uh, it'll be a, a, a nice nice um time spent under the water so i think the uh the piers at the moment um given the the situation with the the boat system at the moment um probably are going to be a bit busier below the piers uh the boats um the boats will still be going out with our other other charters that are out there at the moment um but i guess in tying in relation to red boats the first season of diving without Luke, it is going to look a bit different for people. Um, it, at the moment, it's too soon to know what it will look like, but I am really hoping um, that there will be a couple of brightly coloured boats that are going to still feature as an intrinsic part of Melbourne diving. Um, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes to keep the epic diving of Melbourne going and continuing Luke's legacy in some way, but it is going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. So if you could maybe check in with your... You dive buddy, see how people are going, check in with your local dive shops because I think they're probably going to be hurting a little bit as well. And as Luke would want, um, you know, let's all work together, keep the community together, reach out, grab your dive buddy, head for a dive and um, support each other. And, uh, yeah, my thoughts are, are with not only him but they're also the um, the Red Boats crew and the extended family too. So Yeah, well said, Maya. Get in well the water said. and... Uh, mm. Go, go, go. Yeah, let's make it an epic day of diving today. <laughs> epic we're... day of diving. <laughs> Thank you, Myra. That was Myra <laughs> Kelly with the Dive Report. And uh, we are now going to play one of Luke's favourite songs, which is I Am Mine by Pearl Jam. Go, go, go. Triple R. 
This is um, a morning of tributes. In fact, we've had a couple of tributes <laughs> this morning. Yes. Leading from Tim's show through. We're going to play a... Um, oh, nah. Like, uh, one, one thing that we... Um, we, uh, I did during the week was have a chat with um, one of Australia's leading experts, if not Australia's leading expert, um, of or into on what is the right preposition there into on of Halameda, <laughs> uh, and um, Halameda are a remarkable uh, little kind of species. And what I'll do is let's just play the interview because it starts right at the start. Um, Marty McNeil is a visiting research fellow from the Queensland University of Technology. You uh, are an expert in Halameda. What is Halameda and where do we find it? Uh, I've become an expert by default, (laughs) accidentally. Halameda is a group of calcareous green algae. So it grows on the seafloor. Uh, today we've been talking about the Great Barrier Reef, so it's widespread within the Great Barrier Reef. It's a shrubby, fleshy, green algae, but it has a hard internal skeleton made of calcium carbonate, which is a mineral, the same mineral that corals create their skeleton from. So let's get this right. It's an, it's an algae, but it has a, 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 an internal skeleton and a structure. And so that's a little like people might know of coralline algae, those kind of crusts. So it's both the kind of plant bit, but it's also incorporating rocks. And it makes those or it um, grabs them? Yeah, good uh, description. (laughs) It makes them. Um, So, well, look, Halameda as a group, it's a broad group. And within a reef environment, Halameda is everywhere. There's types of Halameda that like hard, rocky um, a substrate to grow on, so it attaches to those. There's other types of halometa that like to be on a sandy, um, a sandy sea bottom, and it actually creates the sand in which it grows. So it's like an ecosystem engineer. So it's got this, um, it's got the green, soft, planty bits, and it's got the hard skeleton part on the inside, and it grows in segments that look like cornflakes. And as it grows and dies off, the little bits of cornflakes break off and become the sediment that the plant lives in. They're super cool plants, it sounds to me. And we'll come back to the ecosystem engineer thing that I'm a little bit intrigued about, um, that you're one of the country's leading experts in the minute. Made you, you made a comment before that makes it seem like you accidentally found yourself <laughs> that way. Why is that? Like, what, why is it that there's just not much known about them? Well, uh, so I should say that my background is from a geoscience or a sediment background. That's how I came into this. Um, other people that are algal experts deal with the taxonomy and okay. that's not... That's not me. I'm not a taxonomist, um, so I don't have that expertise. But how I fell into it, um, I was studying um, environmental science, marine science and geoscience at university. I came across a particular project to work on uh, as, as an undergraduate and it involved... There'd been some new mapping from the Great Barrier Reef across these Halameda um, systems uh, in the non-coral reef parts of the Great Barrier Reef. And the mapping just revealed the spectacular landscape or seascape 
of these undulating um, sort of donut-shaped fields of these um, build-ups that were build-ups of that halometer cornflakes that I was talking about earlier. And previously we'd thought that these were just fairly like, a bit like dunes, a bit like sand dunes. But this mapping revealed that they were actually these donut ring shapes. And, and we were like, what is this? And how, and how big is one of these donut rings? So one single donut ring is, you know, t- is about 200 metres across oh, wow. in diameter. Wow. Yeah. And about can be 10 to 20 metres high, uh, pr- sitting proud of the seabed. That's one single ring, right? There are fields of these um, systems extending across, you know, I'm going to say like 6,000 square kilometres of the northern Great Barrier Reef, so it's vast. So this is the deeper inter-reef parts of the Great Barrier Reef Lagoon where, where we when, find them. When did we find these? Like, did, you know, surely someone must have known about them, you know, for a, yeah. at least a few decades or... Yeah, for sure. So we didn't discover them. We didn't discover that they were there. They've been known since probably the mid-1970s. Um, and are there, did you know if there are any stories from First Peoples about these different types of habitats that uh, perhaps used to be closer to shore but aren't anymore or not? No, that's a really good um, question. So where these habitats are growing now are in a water depth that would have been exposed um, during the last glacial maximum. So it would have been, now it's the seafloor, but 18, 20,000 years ago it would have been dry land. So they wouldn't wouldn't have been there then. Yeah. 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 So... um, Okay, sorry, I interrupted. So, so there's this masses of this stuff that we're now discovering, and what I'm intrigued. You, you said that they, they, you know, they sh- in my words, shed off these little cornflake kind of. So essentially, they're creating their own habitat, as you said. They're shedding off the calcium carbonate. Then it accretes, it grows. So it sounds like they're like coral in that they're making a reef themselves. And how important are they in terms of either geologically or currently as structure for other things? Yeah, no, really good question. So, yes, they are accreting and growing upwards, um, I guess, analogous to how, to how a coral reef does. Um, maybe a slightly different process. Not uh, So a coral reef will build um, interlocking framework and that kind of gets cemented by coralline, algae and, and other things that kind of glue it together. And from what we understand at the moment about these Halameda um, bioherm ecosystems, so the bioherm is just a fancy word for a build-up, um, Probably not cemented. They're still a little bit, um, what's, yeah. Like loose. Loose. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so... 20 metres yeah, high of, of loose material that's yeah. kind of lumped together. Mm-hmm. Somewhat compacted as you get towards the base, of course. And over geological timescales, Halometer has been... Um, it's recorded in the geological rock record for millions of years. Um, so it's geologically been important. It's important as a producer of, of calcium carbonate, of carbonate production and storage. And then ecologically, these things, um, or the system, is providing a really complex um, undulating up and down part of the sea floor which would otherwise be flat. So that's really attractive for um, invertebrates and fishes to kind of accumulate there and live there. So there's quite a diverse... Um, ecosystem of different types of um, populations that are living in this habitat Um, and it's you don't if you went across it in your tinny you Mm. wouldn't know that it's there because the tops of these things are about 20 to 25 meters of water depth 
So you could go across there and not even know that it's there. And so that's why they've been really un, un, not, not well studied is because they're a bit kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, and my, my, you know, kind of basic botany suggests that they're algae, they need light. So, and they're quite deep. So some of these are, are, are down to, I remember hearing earlier, down to 150 metres depth. They must kind of process light differently than, say, the algae that grow on the seashore. Yeah, so Halameda certainly has a fairly wide depth range. Um, the Halameda bioherms that we were talking about on the continental shelf in the Great Barrier Reef, their depth range is probably from around 45, 50 metres water depth up mm. to up, coming up to about 20 metres. But certainly Halameda, other types of Halameda, not the Halameda that's making these bioherms, mm. certainly has that really extensive depth range. Um, we were on some research voyages in 2020 where we had a, a robot with video cameras on it and we put those cameras down and as we were coming up to within probably about 140 metres, and we're calling that the mesophotic zone. People think of that as the twilight zone. There's, yeah, there's right. some sunlight, just enough, and we're starting to see the green of the halometer starting to come into view at, at those sort of water depths. And there's just enough light for them, and they've got enough whatever it is chloroplast in them to be able to get that and use them. Yeah, so they're definitely photosynthesising. They're wow. needing a sunlight, but at that depth... And it depends, like... So that depth depends on the clarity and quality of the water, right? So you could have... Um, you could be at 80 metres and run out of sunlight, but that's because the water is um, turbid or it's kind of... It's dirty, so the sunlight's not penetrating. But if you've got really clear, clean water, like right out on the Queensland Plateau in the Coral Sea, you'll get light penetration down to that depth and then you can have photosynthesis and halometer will be there for sure. We, we talked a little bit about the ecological importance and that, that's fantastic. But then you also mentioned that ge over a geological time scale, if you were to drill a core down through bits of the Great Barrier Reef, mm -hmm. it sounds like to me that you'd find bits where the rock has come from coral and bits where the rock has come from the these halometa bioherms, these lumps of halometa, and then do they switch over time? Yeah. And, and actually maybe I'm wondering if corals, you know, have been given credit for doing things that halometa should have been given credit for. Now you're getting controversial <laughs> <laughs> and I am undoubtedly biased <laughs> towards halometa. Um, so, yes, definitely. If you, we, we see that in the rock record through cores. So a core is like a time capsule and the further down the core you go... It's, you're travelling back in time and you can see what were the constituents of, a, of the, the reef environment back through time. And, yes, certainly there's periods like today where it's predominantly coral-dominated, plus those associated coral lines and things that glue it all together, that framework I was talking about. Um, and then... And halometer will always be there because yep. it's just around, it's everywhere, there's so many different types. And then you'll get sequences where the, that whole sequence is just dominated by halometer. So that would suggest that there's been periods of time in our, in our history um, of the Great Barrier Reef and other parts of the yep. world where, yes, halometer has been the dominant calcifier. Um, and that's really interesting and it's really kind of exciting because it's, you know... Like I said, this is controversial. Some people may not agree, but there's a scenario where it could be actually that the coral reef as we know it today is actually the anomaly, not oh. the not the not the state of which things have always been. Wow, but on, <laughs> that's that that's probably the controversial note on which um, I should thank you. That is such an interesting, fascinating journey through something that I think most people don't know about Halameda, and I'm looking forward to the T-shirt that is Halameda versus coral. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, my absolute. 
absolute pleasure. Thanks. It's always a good opportunity to talk about Halometer. <laughs> Dr. Marty McNeil from Queensland University of Technology Move finishing over there. Coral, I know. Space for Halimeda. You heard it here first on Radio Marinara. And the good thing is, it's the Great Barrier Reef. So it doesn't have to be coral. Could be Halimeda. And isn't that so interesting? Yeah. I mean, you know, just I, I love that kind of notion of the coral being an anomaly in a geological time scale. Oh, but it would oh, it would change so much of the, of the scientific isn't narrative. It's so interesting. Anyway, mm-hmm. you're on Radio Marinara. A couple of quick messages, then uh, some music. In fact, the Uluru Stone from the heart with um, the oils. And we'll be back talking about... We are talking about Recycle Smart. Brilliant. A new way to recycle your plastics. Chat soon. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. And what an invitation that is. And later this year, we get a chance to say yes to that invitation. Do it. You're on Radio Marinara. It is about 12 minutes to the hour of 10 o'clock. 12 minutes to the doctors. They are amassing outside. I do want to just thank Gary for a beautiful text. Um, It's his late wife's birthday, Linda's birthday today. And Gary, we are thinking of you as you are thinking of us. This is truly a tribute show today. Mm. Um, So... Over to we you. are going to have a chat with uh, Recycle I'm so Smart. Interested in this? Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. Recycle Smart is a is a Sydney based startup, and they only launched in Melbourne last month. Um, they are on a mission to make recycling as easy as ordering a pizza, hmm. and it is actually very similar the way they do that. Um, so they they have a recycling pickup service. It's called the Power Pickup, and this provides a, a very convenient doorstep collection service for all those tricky to recycle items, including soft plastics all the stuff that you can't put in your council recycling bin. Um, And they've already diverted about uh, 500,000 kilos of valuable resources from landfill. Mm. So with us today is Eugenie Alonso, Chief Marketing Officer at Recycle Smart, and she's very passionate about driving behaviour change (laughs) and having a positive impact on the planet. And she is here to tell us all about this new initiative. Welcome, Eugenie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, we're pretty good here. Um, very excited to uh, get into uh, a little bit of talk about this new initiative. Um, sure. So you're saying that Recycle Smart is a pickup service and, and people can use it to recycle the things that they can't put in their normal council-issued recycling bins. So can you explain yep. a bit about how this initiative works? Yes, totally, totally. So the idea of the initiative, as you said, was to um, try and make recycling as easy as possible. Um, so we, we collect four different um, categories of items that can be recycled but can't go in your recycling bin. Um, so soft plastics, as you mentioned, e-waste, so anything that has electricity in it. Um, textile, um, like wearable or non-wearable clothes, that also includes shoes and accessories. Um, we also, and then the fourth category is we call it misfit. Um, it's a bit of everything and anything. Um, so in that you have batteries, um, blister packs, polystyrene, um, coffee cups, polystyrene. Um, and lots of other things. Polystyrene, yes, polystyrene. Just, uh, that just that just that just uh, piqued my interest yeah, because wow. we know from the research done by the Ecocenter and the Yarra Riverkeeper Association that polystyrene is just really basically the number one polluter of Melbourne waterways. Um, yeah. So that is and and one of the reasons is that you know nobody recycles polystyrene. Yeah, absolutely, and it's such a tricky piece um, because yeah, as as soon as you break it, like it's just flies around super, super quickly. Um, so, yeah, so we can absolutely collect it. And the beauty of polystyrene is that it is really 
easy to recycle once it goes to the right place and it can be turned back into polystyrene again. Yeah, wonderful. And obviously, uh, particularly the soft plastics are very of interest because we saw the collapse of, of the red, of red cycle last year, uh, which yeah. resulted in over 20,000 tonnes of plastics uh, being stockpiled all over Victoria and New South Wales with nowhere to go, basically. Um, but you seem to be working with a partner who uses uh, pyrolysis to turn plastic back into its base components. Um, yeah. So obvi- the obvious question is, uh, when this initiative takes off, how are you going to scale it? Because are we going to see another bunch of uh, dangerously flammable stock- stockpiled plastics all over Melbourne in, in hidden in warehouses? <laughs> or, or is this something that you've already anticipated? Yeah, well, thank you for the question because it is a really important one that we get asked a lot and we're really happy when we hear that question because it means that people are like, super conscious and really care about exactly what's happening to these things. Um, so we are very conscious about that and um, we have a very open partnership with APR Plastics, so he's our recycler based in Melbourne, actually, um, and we're talking all the time about volume and how we can manage those. Um, and at the moment, um, just to give you an, an idea of the scale, like we are very little at the moment, but very little. We, we are making a, making a dent. Um, but the volume that we collect every month is something that can be um, dealt with by um, the, the soon-to-come, the bigger machine that API is going to receive very soon. They can deal with that quantity of plastics in a day. Um, so every month we collect around four tons of soft plastics at the moment. And with that bigger machine that they're going to receive, they can um, manage, like they can process five tons of soft plastics per day. Um, so we really do not have a volume issue there. Um, and then the other um, positive aspect of this specific method is that it turns soft plastics back into oil. And then that oil can be refined and turned into plastic pellets. And those plastic pellets can be turned back into soft plastics again. So it's a real true secure solution, um, which means that the end market is there as well. And just, um, I'm, I'm wondering, Eugenia, about this, this scaling thing, as you say, it's going to, it's the big kind of question. It's the big thing that undone, undid some of the ones in the past. It sounds to me like it's scalable. Like, you know, if one of those machines can do five tonnes and all of a sudden it goes off, you know, two, three, four of these things can, can handle 10, 15, 20. Is it, is it kind of scalable like that in the sense that as the market gets bigger, more of these machines can come into operation and, you know, bigger tonnage can be yeah. handled? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And it's actually the case. Like, that's the thing with the Australian recycling industry at the moment. There are um, um, capabilities that are being built as we speak. Um, and so as soon as those capabilities are going to be up there, like the volume that will be able to be managed will be much bigger than what it is now. Um, in saying so, um, that can't be seen as a, the perfect solution to the soft plastic issue. We still all need to work hard on how to reduce that. And when I say we like it's obviously us as a consumer, uh, consumer, but also like um, obviously the manufacturers that need to rethink the way they design their product to try and reduce in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to make that you know even though we're we're doing the circular economy thing, it is still a band aid. It is still a band aid to all of the new plastics that are being produced. So that's that's a great point to make, Eugenie. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, if people want to get on board, can you explain a little bit quickly about how how it works? What do people yeah. what do people need to do to be able to recycle those plastics? 
Yes, totally. So um, first of all, they need to um, visit recyclesmart.com and sign up to the service to make sure that our service is available in their area. Um, because at the moment, our service is available in Sydney and in Melbourne in nine areas in Melbourne. Um, so the list is visible on our website. Um, just to name you a, a few, we have obviously um, City of Melbourne, Glenira, City of Yarra, Derbyn, like and, and other, other ones, so nine of them. Um, and if we're in your area, then you can simply book a pickup whenever you need it. Um, so to book a pickup, you download the app or you do that on the website. It takes you um, three minutes because you only have to select the number of bags that you want us to pick up for you and then um, the day of the pickup. Um, so in terms of bags, when we talk bags, you can put in any shopping bag you have at home, um, all the things that we collect, like because all the shopping bags roughly have the same size. Um, otherwise, we also have um, our recycle smart bag available on the website, but it's not mandatory at all. Um, in the spirit of reducing waste, we know we all have plenty of those around home, so we oh, can yes. use them. Um, they're absolutely fine. Um, and then you can put in the bag your self-plastics, your e-waste, um, your clothes, uh, like anything that we collect and that you have around home and you want to be recycled. Yeah, and I'm, I'm um, have, I had a quick look at all the stuff that you do because at the moment I'm actually like I'm collecting my batteries and then I take those to either Aldi or I take them, I have to take them to Office Works or Bunnings or yeah, wherever yeah, there is yeah. a battery collection bin. Um, or the Globes. Yeah, but now I, so with you guys we can just put everything in the in the same bag including like aluminium coffee capsules and DVDs and CDs. I'm just having a little look and at the list. Yeah. it's no, free. It, no, no, it's not, it's not free. Right, okay. <laughs> but... Um, Eugenie will probably okay. be able to tell us yes. how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's right. You can you can put all those items in the same bag. Uh, like there's a few obvious things that we ask uh, if we can just put the little items on top of the bag to make sure that our driver really sees it. If you can try avoid like avoid hiding batteries in textile, that would be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But other than that, like just common sense for all the apply. Uh, yeah, so anything I'm going to send back, so it's even easier for you. You book your pickup. Um, on the day of your pickup, you just have to put your bags out on your front door. Um, find a safe space when you can leave your bags. You don't even need to be home. And then our driver, your local driver, actually will come to your place, pick up the bags, sort through, uh, and make sure that they only collect things that can be recycled with us. If there are a few things you got mistaken, that's okay. The driver will just leave it back with you and send you a text message with feedback so you can learn as you go as well. Um, and then we'll give you your bags back so you can reuse them for the next time. That is amazing. Um, yeah, so you were talking about pricing. Uh, yep. In terms of pricing, um, it's $5 for one bag, um, and then we come for a minimum of two bags. So yeah. basically $10 for a pickup. So that is really not that much in, yeah. in the space of, you know, in the, in the scheme of things. And, and also what I really like about... It that much to drive around, drop yeah, things off at exactly. all the different it's recycle places. Exactly, $5 in yeah, petrol yeah, yeah, totally. to get to Bunnings uh-huh. to do uh, recycle your batteries alone, let alone clothes and other stuff. Um, now, the free app also directs people to the different collection points. So if you don't want to pay the money, you can actually find in the app as well where the, uh, where the collection points are if you, if you want to do that. Eugenie, yeah. that was really, really interesting and really useful we will uh we will put a link to uh to this on our facebook page where can people find you very quickly um definitely uh, recyclesmart.com is the website and then the recyclesmart app amazing thank you so much that was uh eugenie alonso chief marketing officer at recyclesmart and uh, yeah We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on t- in touch with that um, initiative here, Eugenie, and hopefully it will take off and we might check in uh, in a little bit and see where you're at. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. See you.
thing. Wow, how interesting. I know. So now, we had a go. couple of um, it's quick... It's like Uber recycling. A couple of texts. Uh, someone said you can drop off polystyrene for free at Polyfoam if you're out Danny Nongway or in the southeast of Melbourne. Great so information. There you go. They have large bins for this purpose at the gate, so there you go. And don't break your polystyrene, people. No, Do not break it, it to fit it in the bin. <laughs> no, leave it solid. Um, so thank you. Thank you to um, Muddy McNeil. Thank you to Myra Kelly. Thank you to Eugenie Alonso. What a wonderful show. Thank you to you, Farm. And thank you to you, Anth. The doctors are getting ready. The music's playing in the background. We have, oh, like, we'll play the rest of the track. But next week, I, I don't have my list. I'm not sure what's on. <laughs> have you got the list? I have no, no list. No, we, <laughs> it we, will be a surprise. There will be a show and it will have Radio Marinara and Bron will be here, actually. And it will be epic. That'd be a, it will be epic. You're on Radio Marinara on 3RRR. We'll chat with you next time. Bye. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.